from Pullman, Washington. This is the ComJur 350 News Podcast. Each generation has to reclaim and defend its civil liberties. The civil rights battlegrounds in Washington State range from the state capitol to the college campuses. In the first story, Washington State news organizations are fighting for access to public records with an unlikely opponent, the people who wrote the state's public records laws. Sexual harassment of women is making national news even as federal rules used to protect women on campuses are being loosened. The second speaks with people on the front lines in the Palouse. Freedom of speech laws are under attack on college campuses as campus climates become more hostile. Two stories review Washington State University incidents that made national news. Finally, the first Trump travel ban was successfully challenged by the Washington State Attorney General's office. It claims standing in the case by citing the negative impact on universities such as WSU. The last story covers students who are directly impacted by the ban. Several news organizations, including public radio stations in Washington State and the Associated Press, filed a lawsuit against the Washington State Legislature to access what would normally be open records. Emory Dinman and Katherine Barner have more on the story. The first hearing was October 6th. The lawsuit first began when the media's request for lawmakers' emails, text messages, and calendars were denied. Since lawmakers work for a public agency, many are wondering what is allowing them to withhold this information. The Public Records Act was adopted as a citizen's initiative in 1972 and was revised in 1995. The revision exempts state lawmakers from the same standards as any other public official, according to the lawyers for the State House and Senate. Austin Jenkins is a reporter with Northwest News Network and has experienced some of his requests being denied. Northwest News Network is part of the lawsuit against the legislature. The argument you hear from legislators is that they won't be able to continue to do the work that they do with constituents, for instance, if this information has to be released to the public. The lawsuit seeks to resolve the conflict between two different perception of current public records law, one in which the state legislature is exempt from public records requests and one in which it is not. Cornell Clayton is a political science professor at Washington State University who teaches about public policy. Legislative bodies, including the U.S. Congress and state legislatures, have typically tried to, to shield themselves a bit more from public records requests and, and the press because they feel like it is essential for protecting the legislative process. The reality is that local government officials manage to do their work and work with constituents and deal with sensitive issues and still comply with the Public Records Act. In Pullman, I'm Katherine Barner with Emery Denman. Sexual assault continues to be an issue in society, with dozens and dozens of political figures and celebrities being accused of sexual assault and harassment as of late. It also continues to be particularly relevant on college campuses. Alex Heinrich has more on the story. One in five women are being assaulted on their college campus over the course of their college years, and over 90% of cases are not reported to the school. Sexual assault can be anything sexual in nature that is undesired by the victim. It is a broad spectrum of behaviors, from catcalling to unwanted contact to another person, such as touching inappropriately, all the way to rape. For victims of sexual assault, the impacts can be long-lasting with the potential for both physical and psychological effects. Sexual assault advocate and prevention educator at Alternatives to Violence of the Palouse, Vanessa Corwin says that many people do not know what sexual assault or harassment even is. Even looking at the one in four, one in five number give us an accurate representation of how often it does happen. Just because 
there are a lot of people that I talk to as an advocate who don't really know what sexual assault consists of. Mm -hmm. Corwin also says that in order for changes to occur on college campuses and in society, we need to see a change in the way we talk about these things. Really um, questioning the things that we think are normal, you know, like rape jokes or, you know, commenting on women's appearances rather than like men's appearances, you know, really stressing the the idea that it's okay to like talk about sex and consent and everything like that. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos announced that they would be rolling back the Title IX guidelines established by the Obama administration regarding sexual assault on campuses. DeVos said that the former guidelines did not give due process to the accused. The Department of Education announced plans to speak with different people with knowledge about sexual harassment and assault such as survivors, parents, different campuses, and experts before coming up with final regulations. Recently, it was announced that a new proposal would allow campuses to delay sexual assault investigations if it was requested by police. In Pullman, I'm Alex Heinrich. Brett Weinstein, the professor embroiled in free speech protests at Evergreen State College in May of this year, has settled with the college for $500,000. Weinstein and his wife resigned from the college and filed a $3.85 million lawsuit in July stating that the college failed to protect its faculty from violence and threats. Jake R. Chambeau and John Lee have more on the story. The incident at Evergreen State College in May is just one of many conflicts regarding free speech occurring across college campuses in the last several years. In two, uh, 2017 alone, polarizing conservative speakers such as Ben Shapiro, Charles Murray, and Milo Yiannopoulos have sparked protests at universities across the United States. In a recent survey conducted by John Villasenor, a professor at UCLA, 20% of college students believe it is acceptable to use violence to silence a speaker who makes statements, quote, offensive and hurtful to minorities, unquote. Christine Curtis is an instructor at Washington State University in the Edward R. Morrow College of Communication. Curtis believes that while it can be frustrating to hear offensive statements, it is important to remember that the First Amendment gives everyone the right to speak their mind regardless of whether it's offensive or not. When I hear somebody saying something that's offensive toward a minority group, my first reaction is, I don't want to hear that and you shouldn't be saying it. But then you stop and say, wait a minute, they're allowed to do that. They can say that. It doesn't matter if I agree or if I disagree. Now, there's a line that's drawn when it comes to hate speech. But in terms of free speech, the idea is that everybody gets to express their own opinion. And whether we like it or not, they, they get to say it. WSU has not been immune to issue involving free speech this year. In October, 12 Washington state registrators signed a letter asking WSU President Kirk Schertz to revoke the status of the college Republicans on campus. Schertz declined the request, citing the importance of maintaining free speech and the autonomy of groups on campus. Elizabeth Heitman is an associate professor at Washington State University who has researched the First Amendment and its real-world consequences. Heitman believes that living in an echo chamber can be harmful to developing students' belief system. Not being exposed or not being tolerant of other perspectives harms students' ability either to, to change their minds or to understand their own beliefs. So I, I do think people at campuses are becoming less tolerant. In a recent Pew Research study, 40% of millennials believe that the government should be able to prevent people from saying things that are offensive to minorities. 
only 24% of baby boomers agreed with that viewpoint. In Pullman, I'm Jake Arshambo alongside John Lee. Will the third time be the charm for Trump's administration? The third revised travel ban was introduced in October, and the Supreme Court issued the executive order to go into full effect this week. Paduma Lali has the story. The newest version of the travel ban was allowed full enforcement by the Supreme Court this week. The first version of the ban restricts eight countries from entering the U.S., replacing the previous ban on travelers from six majority Muslim countries. The new restrictions differ from country to country and includes denial of visas to targeted sanctions. Attorney Anilia Afsali is working with both state and national leaders to combat the new travel ban. There are people directly in Washington state who are impacted by the restrictions of the travel ban, the Muslim ban 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0, unfortunately. Uh, we've also had seen something else, which is it doesn't just affect people who are directly from those countries that are banned. It affects everyday American Muslims. It includes kids who are being bullied, who are facing the increased uh, Islamophobia and anti-Muslim sentiment as a result of the rhetoric and proposals and policies like uh, the Muslim bans. So the, the directly people impacted, there's certainly been a number of them, but there's also the indirect effects on everyday American Muslim kids and their families. They in fact make us less safe, they make us less united, they create the kind of anxiety and divisiveness and fear narrative that is actually very detrimental to all of us as Americans. And they violate and contradict our shared American values, our constitutional values, and the things that make us great as a country. Washington State University student Maud El-Shiki, an engineering PhD candidate, says the band is dividing individuals from those countries and their families living abroad. It just kind of disconnects from families. Uh, people can no longer see their families. But it is very difficult to go back, and there is a possibility that you will not get your visa to come back here to finish your study or whatever you are doing. Um, so basically, there's kind of, it might be a sudden change in your life if you went back. WSU political science PhD candidate Mohammed Gadi, an international Iranian student, says the previous ban prevented him from collecting data abroad and attending important conferences last spring. His research is centered on preventive methods to terrorism and has worked to provide solutions. So we have three travel bans. Uh, the first executive order was last semester, so it impacted my own travels to conferences abroad. I canceled two travels to, the first one was to a conference in Canada. I had an accepted paper to present. I couldn't travel abroad because um, my department asked me not to leave the country. I'm in the middle of my PhD. If I leave the country, I can't get back. Or there is a possibility that I can't get back. So the first and second travel ban last semester impacted my own experiences. Travel ban three impacted my family because after I couldn't travel uh, to Iran, I asked my mother to travel to U.S. and travel ban uh, three targeted families of students. Both Al-Shiki and Gidi say they have no plans to stay in the U.S. post-graduate school with restrictions on their individual freedoms. The new travel ban is being challenged by multiple courts, including Hawaii and Maryland. I'm Fidumali, reporting from Pullman. That was Neckbreaker from the album New Ways to Destroy Music by Daniel Bautista. Use with a Creative Commons attribution. Share alike 3.0, unported license. For Comjor 350 from Pullman, Washington, I'm Aaron Clark.